Good morning, everyone. I'm Reverend Wendy Silvers, and you have arrived at the Awakened Mother podcast. This is for you if you are interested in weekly, uncensored, I just want to emphasize, uncensored dialogues with leaders, visionaries, spiritual teachers, and truth tellers that are, that are here to share information, to empower you to stay awakened and to advocate for your children and yourself fully, fully fueled and funded with real information. You're going you're gonna to hear the unfiltered raw truth behind the scenes. And this morning, I am really honored to be sharing the stage with Christina Hildebrand, who is the founder of A Voice for Choice. We, uh, we met uh, as moms in uh, 2015 uh, when SB 277 was rolled out. And I was just so in awe of this woman who is so intelligent and articulate and eloquent and is a mom and is very heart-centered. And she has such wonderful energy, ideas, information, and facts. And she she's right up there in Sacramento with lobbyists and, and organizing and connecting and is really, uh, we talked often Christina and I will talk again about collaborating, about linking arms with each other so that we are more powerful together than, you know, silos. And we, we always had this very, you know, uh, simpatico with, with that. So I want to let you know who Christina is and what a voice for choice is. So a voice for choice is a 501c3 organization which promotes people's rights to be fully informed about the composition, quality, and short and long-term health effects of food and pharmaceutical products, educates people about those issues and their rights to be informed consumers, right? That is like, I feel like let's bold that informed, like informed consent, informed consumers, informed parents. These are the, these are the waters in which I, I swim. So educates people about these issues and their rights to be informed consumers and control what they put in their bodies, supports large scale primary and secondary research into these issues. She is an excellent researcher works with doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other professionals to ensure the information we share, they share, is up to date. A Voice for Choice was founded by Christina. Christina is passionate about ensuring people know what they are putting into their bodies, be it food, air, water, or medications. And for the past 12 years, Christina has spent many thousands of hours researching and sharing her knowledge within her local community. However, with the growth of the big ag and big pharma, and for those that are here for the first time, big ag means big agriculture, big pharma means the pharmaceutical influences on US politics. Should we just say that it's like the United States of pharma? Um, okay, Christina realized that she needed to take this to a different level and educate the masses, which she does, on their rights to inform choice and transparency of what goes into their bodies. Christina brings together a team of talented individuals who work tirelessly on the issues which A Voice for Choice takes on. Her team is supported by vetted grassroots volunteers fighting for the common cause, as well as a network of resources and experts 
This allows a voice for choice to expand the team when necessary, but also keep overhead and cost low. I can relate to that with, with uh, Million Mamas Movement. Uh, a voice for choice is 100% financially funded by individual grassroots contributions, supported by countless donated volunteer hours. Christina donates all of her time without taking any form of payment for the thousands of hours she spends working on a voice for choice issues. So my friends, welcome. Please join me in welcoming Christina. Christina, you are you. on the stage. <laughs> um, was there something specifically that you wanted me to talk about today or just sort of to go into what we're up to right now, how I got into this? Like, where did you want me to start? Well, first of all, start with being a mom, your mom, you have two children and how you came to to be involved in this and what your experience has been um, in terms of your own awakening. And then I would love uh, love to hear from you about the uh, bills that are being introduced in uh, 2022 legislati- legislation right out of the gate yep. and then what you're doing and how, how everyone here can be uh, involved. Sure. Great. So yes, I am a mom and I would say I'm a mom first and foremost. Um, I have two children, two girls, uh, one's 16 and one's 13, and they're growing up way too fast. (laughs) Um, I got into this uh, when my oldest daughter, when I was pregnant with her, I got into the vaccine issue at least. And and also sort of the toxins, you know, making sure that that I use the best, you know, the most, the least toxic cleaning products, those types of things when I was pregnant with her and I started sort of going down that, that rabbit hole, I got into the vaccine issue because I wanted a natural birth and I went online, which there was very, very little online at that time. And I looked for and found a birth plan. And in that birth plan, uh, one of the questions that it asked was, you know, do you want your child to have the hepatitis B vaccine or one of the things to consider at you know, in, in the hospital at 12 hours old. And I looked at it and I thought, okay, that's interesting. Like the only thing I know about hepatitis B is that you get it when you have sex. <laughs> and I didn't think my 12 hour old baby would be having sex. So I basically started looking into it and realized that, it, you know, I wasn't sure that I really wanted to, uh, to vaccinate my child with the hepatitis B shot at 12 hours old. I didn't, you know, in my opinion, I didn't really know I wasn't going to know who my baby was at, at that time and, you know, didn't really want to put anything in them that that I didn't know what would happen. Um, it's interesting because I was thinking about this recently and I, if it hadn't been the hepatitis B shot. So if it had been something like polio or measles or maybe not measles, but, but if it had been something that that wasn't sexually transmitted, for example, I'm not sure that I would have said no to it. I don't know that I would have gone down the same path, which is an, it, it's, an, it's interesting to me to look back on that. Um, but it was the hepatitis B vaccine. And at that point, you know, I had had vaccines as a child, but I hadn't had very many because I had a lot of the diseases. So as a child, I had the actual diseases of measles, mumps, rubella, pooping cough, um, scarlet fever, which there isn't a vaccine for, but uh, chickenpox, you know, all of those, I had them all, the actual diseases. And so I wasn't really scared of them because it was kind of like, okay, that's what happened when you were a child. Um, So we started off, me and my ex started off by just saying, okay, we're not the hepatitis B vaccine. Let's look at what vaccines come up at one month. And we went through those and I was breastfeeding. So I didn't feel like, because I had had the diseases, I knew that I was going to convey some immunity during breastfeeding. 
And it kind of kept going down that path of pushing things off and pushing things off and pushing things off and getting to the point where we're still, you know, <laughs> we're not pushing them off anymore because that's not, that's not the, uh, we're not, we're not going there. Um, so then it kind of, you know, I had my second daughter, same thing, kind of laid low until 2013. In 2013, Senator Pan introduced, he was then Assembly Member Pan, introduced a bill that basically said, you know, if you have a personal belief exemption, you need to go to the doctor and discuss the risks and the benefits of the vaccines before you can submit your personal belief exemption. And, uh, you know, we'd had that conversation with our doctor many times. So I thought, okay, you know, I'm good with that. You know, I'm, I don't think much of that law because we've already done that easy for me to do no problem. Um, and so uh, I, you know, and I had not been involved with legislation or the legislature or anything like that. You know, if you ask me at that time, I voted basically down the line, didn't think about who I was voting for, didn't think about the initiatives, you know, read whatever was on the piece of the ballot and just went by that. Uh, I was very uninformed. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 2015, when Senator Pan brought forward the bill to remove the personal belief exemption, uh, that was when I started getting involved. And I went up to the Capitol and just planned to be a plain old person saying, you know, we don't want this at the Capitol. There are thousands of people there. Uh, Washington and Oregon had beaten their bills. So we thought, you know, we're going to beat this in California. No problem. We've got you know, thousands of people coming to the Capitol. And it got to the second hearing, which was the education hearing. And there were, you know, as I said, thousands of us in the building uh, watching the education hearing. And Senator Pan didn't have the votes. And we were all sitting there going, we don't have the votes. We don't, he doesn't have the votes. Yes, we beat this thing. And the education chair looked at him and said, you don't have the votes. Do you want another week? Should we come back in a week and vote on this? And we, I just was just like, no, you can't do that. Like, how does that work? He, of course, had five days to convince seven legislators to vote for it. Uh, we all went home, tried to do things in those seven days, but really didn't have the access that we needed in the Capitol. And at that point, I called some people that I knew had, you know, beat it in, in Washington, in Oregon, in Illinois, and, the, and had been in this much, much longer. And their opinion was, you need a lobbyist. If you're going to do anything in the building, in the Capitol building, you need a lobbyist. And I just looked at them and went, that is ridiculous. Like, why would we pay money when we've got thousands of people that are willing to share their voices? And they were just like, that's the only way it works. Uh, so I formed- Remember, I was there. We were there. <laughs> and I formed a Voice for Choice Advocacy, not because I wanted to, <laughs> but I felt driven to. And we hired a lobbyist, which was incredibly hard to find because most of the lobbyists work for, you know, some form of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, for example, the California Medical Association has eight lobbyists on staff at all times. Um, you know, it, we're, we're fighting Goliath. Um, and, and so we, we hired somebody, but it was really too little too late. What it did allow me to do was I, I am divorced. And so I didn't have my kids Monday through Wednesday. And so I literally went to the Capitol every Monday through Wednesday, had meetings with legislators and basically shadowed our lobbyist and, you know, learned the way of the world in that building. And, you know, once you know it, it's, you, you realize that, you know, the people power really doesn't count in that building. It, it's, it's the money that counts. It's the, uh, influence that counts. Um, and so we we have been in the capital. Our our mission statement is much, you know, and what we work on, it's much broader than just vaccines. We educate and advocate for informed choice and transparency of anything that goes into your body. So food, air, water, pharmaceuticals. Uh, we did have a bill in 2020 that we got uh, 
Assembly member Garcia, uh, Christina Garcia, to author that uh, labels uh, the ingredients on menstrual products. And so that was signed by the governor in 2020. And so we really have established ourselves in the capital as a professional, respected organization that, that you know, people know that we have a place on the vaccine issue. We very much take it from a informed choice perspective. So people need the information to make an educated decision. And ultimately, if you decide to vaccinate yourself or not vaccinate yourself, that's your personal decision. As long as you've made it with information, you know, we're good with that, whatever that decision is. Um, the same thing applies to, you know, all other things. If you want to use glyphosate or Roundup on your weeds, that's your choice, but know what glyphosate and Roundup has in it and that it could cause cancer. Um, those types of things. So that's kind of where we're, where, you know, we came from. Um, where we're at, we know next year is going to be a heck of a year. Um, we are expecting five, what I call bad bills, um, to be put forward by the legislature in California. They will be one of them. These are the ones we're anticipating. Some of them we know will happen. Others we are just anticipating. One of them is a employer mandate, so an employee mandate, sorry, that would codify what Biden tried to do on a federal level. He couldn't, he can't do it on a federal level because that is a state level issue. Uh, but we do believe California is likely to put a bill forward to require all employees in California to have, um, to be vaccinated for COVID. That will have a religious, it has to, per the Civil Rights Act, have a religious and a medical exemption in it. The second one is some form of societal mandate with the COVID vaccine. So right now in LA and San Francisco, you have to show your COVID card, you know, your vaccine card in order to get into restaurants, gyms, movie theaters, you know, other, other places indoors. And if you, it, a religious exemption doesn't apply, a um, medical exemption doesn't apply, a previous immunity doesn't apply. And so we're expecting that to be rolled out statewide. Uh, we do, you know, if it is, we are, a voice for choice advocacy is pushing that both natural immunity count and a religious exemption uh, and medical exemptions count on that. The third bill that we see is a K through 12 bill that will require the COVID vaccine for children in to go to school. And we, it will not have a personal belief exemption. So if, if the public health department puts that requirement out, there has to be a personal belief exemption because of the way the statute's written. But we believe that Senator Pan and others will bring a bill forward that will remove that personal belief exemption. Uh, again, we are pushing for natural immunity and a religious exemption there, a religious conscious belief exemption. Uh, the third one we know for sure uh, is there will be a requirement for the HPV vaccine and the meningitis vaccine for high school students. We also anticipate that there won't be a personal belief exemption there. Our request is that a religious and a conscious belief exemption be added, but actually those, our bigger issue with those is you don't catch meningitis and you don't catch HPV in school, so they really shouldn't be a requirement. So we, are, we will be opposing that bill flat out. Um, just because you don't catch those things in school. You know, if it was an infectious disease, it makes more sense. I, I still, you know, think that any requirement for a medical treatment for school is wrong, but from a perspective of, uh, you know, those two diseases, there, there are, you're not catching them in school. So, um, and then the last one, which we don't know for sure, but we've had rumors about is lowering the age of consent for medical treatments such as vaccines to 12 years old. And so 12 years old, 12 year olds and above 
would be able to consent to vaccines and other medical treatment. Uh, we have a big issue with that uh, and not involving parents in those decisions uh, because parents know children's medical history, whereas children don't always know their medical history or their, you know, that they may have allergies or, you know, previous, previous medical um, history. So those are the five bad bills that we have um, or that we anticipate. There may be more, there may be less. Uh, we are looking at uh, introducing, we, we are shopping uh, four bills. Two of them are really probably amendment bills. One of them, as I said, is recognizing natural immunity. So it is crazy if you go with the science, we believe in the science, we go with real science. And if you look at it, there's never been a time before where natural immunity, if you have a disease, that there isn't some length and duration of natural immunity. Now, what that length is for COVID, we don't know because we've only lived for with COVID for really, you know, a year and a half or so since it got really, you know, bad in the US. But we see Europe, they just extended it from six months to nine months. You know, they're clearly following the science because they know that people who have had COVID nine months ago are not getting COVID again right now. Um, but here in the US, if you had COVID yesterday and you have a requirement to get the vaccine with your work, uh, you have to get the vaccine. You can't use you can't use the fact that you had COVID yesterday as a reason for not transmitting COVID and you're not going to transmit COVID if you had it yesterday, um, you know, once you've gotten over the infection, clearly. So that's one of our arguments. The other argument that we are, or the other amendment or bill that we're putting forward is a religious exemption and a conscious belief exemption bill that will, re that will require conscious belief exemption for any time vaccines are required uh, or any medical treatments are required that they uh, that a, con a religious or conscious belief exemption uh, will be applied to those to that. Uh, we also have two bills that are not vaccine related. Uh, one of them is to remove quats, so quaternary ammonia and bleach out of schools. So with COVID, there is a lot more cleaning going on and children, uh, our children and staff are more susceptible to things like asthma and allergies if they're around uh, toxic cleaning products. And so that's one of them. And then the other one is uh, also in schools an air quality monitoring bill that would monitor things like on an ongoing basis in schools, things like mold and radon and other toxins that are in the air that you don't necessarily see, but that are there um, and have been affecting kids with headaches and migraines and allergies and asthma and those types of things. So those are our sort of good bills that we have going on. Taking a breath. Yes. <laughs> sorry. I know I talk fast and I talk. I, yeah, well, I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> No, actually, you've slowed down a little bit. I mean, I, I, I got it. So, so um, eight, let's go back a little bit. And do you, I know that uh, you have, do you still have lobbyists on? We are have two lobbyists. Yep. And we are also in the process of hiring a legislative director. So within a voice for choice advocacy, having somebody, I do that currently, but I, I need help. And so, especially if we've got these bills coming up next year. So we are looking to hire a legislative director as well. And what will they do? So the they are basically my right-hand person and the lobbyist's right-hand person. Okay. Um, you know, love our lobbyists. Uh, they've been with us. Roxanne's been with us since 2015. Uh, Mark has been with us for the last three years. And they are great, but, you know, they have other clients. And so we're looking for, we're looking to have somebody that's really dedicated to a voice for choice advocacy and can meet with legislators, uh, discuss the issues. 
you know, as I said, we do come at it from a pretty neutral place. I would say, you know, we're not for anything. We're not against anything. The one thing we are against is mandates and requirements and government requirements, especially if it, um, if it prevents you from doing something like going to school, like having an, like having employment, like going into a restaurant, those types of things. So HPV and meningitis. Can you say more about why that sure. would be, what, what, I mean. So those are the two vaccines that currently don't among teens that don't have uh, high levels of uptake. So if you look at say the MMR vaccine, uh, 95 plus percent of children are vaccinated with the MMR vaccine. That's measles, mumps, rubella. So that has a very high uptake. The HPV vaccine, which is human papilloma virus, you get that by having sex or oral sex, uh, is does not have as high uptake. I think it's at about 60%, I want to say, in California. And then the meningitis vaccine while it's available for 12-year-olds and it is recommended by the CDC for 12 and up, what it's usually uh, required for is college if you're living in dorms. So meningitis you get from sharing bodily fluids, basically spit, you know, kissing, that kind of thing. Um, and so it is, you know, if you're living in college dorms, that's usually where meningitis circulates. And so, again, it doesn't make sense to me for either of these vaccines to be required of high schoolers. They're not, you know, they're not living in dorms. They're not sharing, you know, they're not getting in that close contact. And, and from a HPV perspective, you know, if, if teens are having sex, that doesn't have anything to do with the school, honestly. Right. Nothing. And that, but I think the reason behind the, those being put forward is that they don't, those vaccines specifically don't have as high an uptake in general among the population. And so they're trying to increase that. Okay. So I want to go back to, to I, I'm going to, I want to touch on all the things that you said. And yep. right in this moment, I want to talk about this age old argument, because I remember when we were just starting in 2015, and we'd have this conversation with people about the risks, right? So where there's a risk, there must be a choice, yep. which is what we all agree on. This smallpox that's now all of a sudden Bill Gates is talking about it. We're, we're hearing there's like, you know, so we know there's, you know, something happening. And then also people just don't understand about polio and the polio vaccine. So please, um, since, since you mentioned that at, at the top about mm -hmm. when you were deciding, let, let's discuss that again, okay? Because I think it really, it really needs to be clearly elucidated that those two um, infectious diseases are, are not the, the uh, fear-mongering. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they are what is referred to most by anyone who is not really knowledgeable. Now, I'm going to say, if you, if, before I say anything, if you want more information on this, Suzanne Humphreys is the person that I would refer everyone to. She wrote a book called Dissolving Illusions that really goes into this issue in depth. Yes. Um, it's a it's a very detailed book and it's a, you know, it's a long read, I would say, but yeah. it's a fascinating book. So if you want more information on this, you know, I'll, I'll sort of give the really high level view of it. But, it. but if you want more information, Dissolving Illusions by Dr. Suzanne Humphreys is the book to read. Thank you. Um, both of those, so smallpox, uh, Jenner, uh, you know, basically took cowpox and 
took a you know a place on a on a cow maiden I guess a, a milk maiden's arm and sort of impregnated her her arm with it and basically decided that you know people who were around cows didn't get smallpox because of cowpox. Now, if you go into the history and I don't quote me on all of this, but basically Jenner paid for his doctor's license. He was, you know, he was basically a snake oil salesman <laughs> in this, uh, but somehow it took off uh, and the, the concept took off. Now, he also had, I believe his son died from this experimentation that he did. So you know, clearly it wasn't all roses here. Um, the polio issue, similarly, you know, at the time of polio, if you look at, they were spraying DEET on everything. I mean, kids were standing on the beach getting sprayed and in pool areas getting sprayed with DEET. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, having, having paralysis after that, well, we know one of the side effects of DEET is paralysis. And so, you know, it, it there's a lot more there. I, I, as I said, I'm not going to go into, I, I don't, we don't have the time and we don't have the wherewithal to go into the real nitty gritty details, but there's a lot of the basis for vaccination today is really based on those two things on polio vaccination and on the smallpox vaccination. And it is such a false premise to be, to be based on that. Thank you. Yes. So everybody that's listening, please do your research about the polio and also uh, Dr. Suzanne Humphreys' Dissolving Illusions and be, be, be armed because in this conversation, I have experienced people being very open and they will say, oh, I believe you should have a choice and I believe in this and this. And then the, uh, you, wait for it, <laughs> wait for it because polio will come up. Mm-hmm. And, and it's important to be uh, informed, again, educated, informed. So with these four bills that are, again, egregious and, uh, and, and impacting, I'm really excited to hear about the religious and the, and the conscious belief. Uh, can you say more about that and how people can support that occurring, yeah. support the bills that you're introducing? Yes. The amendments. Uh-huh. The, and and so and to go sort of a step back and why amendments and why not just killing a bill. So what we and, have learned over the past six years is that it is very hard to just completely obliterate a bill and get rid of it, especially when you are the underdog. Yeah. If you are the you know teachers association or the California Medical Association and you have lots of money and lots of influence, then it's not as hard to to kill a bill. Uh, but being, you know, the the force that we are, we're a force, but we're not, we're not, we don't have that much influence. And so what we have found over the years is trying to kill a bill, especially when it has a extremely passionate author. So somebody like Senator Penn, there is no way this is his last year, there is no way that he is willing to uh, just let, you know, a bill die, he will amend it till he gets to a place where it actually passes and he can call it a win, whatever that is, even if it's a watered down win. Uh, And so what we have found over the years is when we come to authors and to legislatures with amendments, that they are much more receptive and willing to work with us because we're basically trying to find a compromise uh, and, and trying to make it more, less egregious, more manageable. And so going, you know, into the 2022 legislative year, do we want to kill these bills 100%? Do we think we have a, you know, it's it, it would be a miracle 
to kill any of these. The way we would kill them is by having enough legislators on our side voting no or abstaining on them. And that is hard to do. I mean, what we found in, in previous years is, you know, we would go in and say to a legislator, okay, so you're going to abstain off the bill. You, you understand you know, all of our issues. You're going to abstain. An abstention is the same as a no vote counts as a no vote. You have to have yes votes in order to move it forward. And they were just like, yep, yep. And then the next day they would be on the floor and they would vote yes on it. And we would go back and say, what happened? You told us that you aren't going to vote on this. And they were like, well, the CMA came in last night and they came in with the doctor and we asked them things that you were concerned about. And they, you know, waylaid our concerns. And so we voted yes on it. And it was like, oh, my God, it literally was the last person in the door that had the effect on it. And so what we've realized is that, you know, these amendments are where we're we are sort of putting our heavy uh, uh, lobbying and our advocacy as I mentioned, two amendments. The number one is, is natural immunity. The fact that if you've had a disease that you have some form of immunity, I agree, we don't know what that is with, with COVID. You know, with, with the measles, if you get measles once, you don't get measles. It's very, very, very rare that you get measles again. So that is lifetime immunity. With the flu, you get you can get the flu. You know, you usually don't get it every year, but you usually get it sort of every other year. Uh, if if you're susceptible to it, you could because it's mutated and it's got new you know variants. Uh, we're seeing that COVID is is has variants, but we've also never looked at a, a virus in so much detail. So, you know, I think there were variants in other things as well that have that have mutated, but, um, you know, we don't know how long natural immunity would will last, but it's clearly lasting. If we, if natural immunity was not lasting, we would be hearing of, you know, the cases on the news of not breakthrough vaccine cases, but, but people getting COVID two, three, four times. And we're not hearing that. And I can promise you, if, we, if it was happening, we would definitely be hearing about it because it would be the push for the vaccine. Um, and so, you know, I, I see, I think natural immunity is getting more talked about now in the US. Uh, more mainstream media is questioning why are we not looking at natural immunity as an option? The other option is this religious and conscious belief exemption. So let's just go through the different exemptions that exist for vaccines and for all medical treatments, really. Uh, you have a medical exemption, which is based on a medical reason that you can't get the vaccine. So, for example, if you had an anaphylactic reaction to a previous vaccine, that's a reason not to get the vaccine. Uh, a personal belief exemption is what we used to have in California, and most states still have a personal belief exemption or religious exemption for K through 12 schooling. In California, that was taken away in 2015. A personal belief exemption, really, you don't have to have any specific reason why you don't want to take the vaccine. You just don't want to take, it's against your personal beliefs. You don't want to take the vaccine. You don't want your child to take the vaccine. No reason needed. A religious and conscious belief exemption fall between, fall is more restrictive than that uh, in that you have to have religious beliefs for both of those. Uh, the conscious belief exemption really falls underneath the religious belief exemption because you do have to have a belief in some higher power and right. conscience, moral conscience, in order to have uh, in order to have that. The religious belief, you know, our religious rights in America are very, very broad because of our First Amendment rights. You don't have to be part of an organized religion. You don't have to be. Um, you know, part, you don't have to have a religious leader. You can very much have whatever your own religious beliefs are. There has to be a belief in a higher power. So there's somebody guiding you that's greater than you, uh, but who that higher power is, it is, is open to interpretation, let's say. And so 
uh, so that is the religious exemption. We, you know, the Civil Rights Act and the Equal uh, Employment Opportunity Commission have made it very clear that for employment, there has to be a religious exemption allowed. Uh, and, and those religious rights stand, there cannot be religious discrimination in the place of employment. And so our perspective is there shouldn't be any religious discrimination in any situation. And so we would like a religious belief exemption added. We're also saying a conscious belief exemption because uh, there are religions, for example, the Catholic Church, that the Pope has come out and said these vaccines are morally and ethically okay, even if they use aborted fetal cell lines, they are just fine to use, you know, it's better to get vaccinated than to than not to get vaccinated. There are people that have religious beliefs that are Catholic and, and Christian. Uh, that have religious beliefs that that all abortion, regardless of what it was used for, regardless of what justification it had, is against their religious beliefs. And that's where the moral conscience comes in. So in the Christian uh, belief system that you can have, you don't have to adhere to what your actual church says or the leader, you know, the Pope says, you can have a conversation with God and a relationship with God that is your own and thereby have a more, what's called a moral conscience. And so uh, we, we are looking to have that added as well. Right now, Minnesota is the only, uh, the only state that has a, they call it a consciously held belief uh, exemption. And so uh, that is the only state that has, has that. Many states have religious exemptions. So those are the two that we're, uh, two amendments that we're looking at. And, and if we could get them as standalone bills, we would take that too. That would be so wonderful. Whatever I can do, especially as a minister, I yeah. believe it's so important to have a, a religious and conscious belief, whatever your higher power is. It's vital. I mean, when we think about America and people often talk about how in this particular situation, the constitution has just been destroyed and it's not being uh, adhered to. And yet this country was built for religious and personal and financial freedom. Yep. That, that's why the founding fathers came here. I mean, yes. with all the other things that were imperfect, but that's what it was based on. So it's, it's I, I often feel incredulous mm -hmm. uh, at, at what I'm witnessing because I, I'm just like, okay, wait, we're talking about America. We're talking about the real democratic process mm -hmm. for freedom is I may not agree with you, but I'm going to support you in having your freedom because that's the democratic way. Right. And, and I'm, you, 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 I mean, I know I'm, yes. I'm <laughs> so, uh, so how does that work with, uh, with all that's been happening to um, our wonderful people, the, the, the firefighters and, and the police and the first mm -hmm. responders and even healthcare workers. I mean, yep. uh, you know, and that's one question and one, have you experienced any retribution for right for helping to do the religious uh, exemptions? Has anything? Have you gotten any flag? Have has? Yeah. No, I, I I stay under the radar pretty much, and and when I do speak, you know, I make it clear that it is about choice. I agree with you. I I it's funny because if I if I say if somebody asks me, you know, what am I from a political perspective or anything like that. My answer is, you know, I'm, I'm not anything. I don't agree with any of them. I take things from both sides. I take things all around. But I actually feel like the, the place where I am is really a, a constitutionalist. You know, I look, I love history. And so I look back at 
when people came to the US and what they were fleeing. And, it, you know, my my background is my my dad's family actually came over on the Mayflower and, and was, you know, has been in the US for a long, long time. And then I grew up in England, which is where they were fleeing from. And so I have both sides oh. that's in my in my history. And it's really interesting to me to see, you know, they were fleeing, as you were saying, they were fleeing the the government and the church just being in their faces and ruling their lives. And they were trying to get away from that. And so they created our constitution that really looked at that and, and said, you know, we are going to be a free country and we're going to be able to have whatever religious beliefs we want. We're going to have whatever, you know, we're, we're going to be able to have exercised our choices and what we want to do and how we want to live and create this amazing country. And I look at where we are in the US today and we're not far from the place that they were fleeing. I think we're actually maybe further beyond the place that they were fleeing in many, many aspects. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about getting us back there. I think, unfortunately, especially here in California, you know, it's almost a lost cause. I feel like we are, I, I don't think it is. I always have hope, don't get me wrong, but I really feel we've, we've gone way, way, way beyond that, uh, that place. And, when it comes to me personally, so I, I, I don't live in a place of fear. I, I live in a place of looking forward and what can I do to help people? I don't put, you know, I don't put myself out there to make myself a target, but at the same time, you know, it was interesting. My mom was just recently with me and she was just like, you know, I'm worried about you, Christina, should you have a bodyguard? And I was like, no, I'm not worried about me. I think I, it's, you know, it's, I, I, and part of it is probably my spirituality that, you know, I feel that I have, and I have lots and lots of people like you and other people around me that support me and that, you know, sort of give me the energy and the, and put energy fields around me, if that makes any sense, but yeah. I protect it. I don't feel, um, you know, and I don't get a lot of um, targeting. And, and I think that is because I take sort of a middle ground, you know, we're not, I'm not asking anyone not to vaccinate. I'm not asking anyone not to put, you know, an organize, I say I, but it's really organization that I speak for, you know, we're not asking anyone to do anything other than not tell other people to do things. <laughs> so, yeah. Well said. Thank you. Yeah. Well said. So in terms of the uh, employment, that's the societal. Yeah amendment, uh, because it just is shocking to me. So I'll just go out on a limb here. <laughs> What's shocking to me is the tyranny. And I was literally, uh, I was watching something last night about the, the one of the last Holocaust survivors, 97 year old man. And while I understand that this is not people aren't being put in pogroms, they're not being put in concentration camps, they're not being burned alive. So I wanna just say that right up front with a disclaimer. Yeah. However, I look at the, the hatred, mm -hmm. the segregation, the discrimination, the loss of humanity that, that is being inflicted upon other people. The last night, uh, there was a meeting uh, and we talked, there was somebody that got up and started crying, holding a young child, a two-year-old child about the internment camps. So there's mm -hmm. not the same, do you, what do you have to say about that? And in terms of internment camps, I mean, we've seen them. Now I do my best 
not to go down that alarmist rabbit hole because I want things to be substantiated and I, and I, I'm holding space for a lot of people. Yes. So it's really important that I stay, you know, in a good space. <laughs> what are your, what's your thoughts? What, what do you, so I, I agree with you. I mean, I go, I look at everything from all angles. So is there one extreme angle that takes us down the path of basically Nazi Germany? Yeah. I mean, I was it, another part of my history. My mother is German and she grew up in, in Germany during the war. She was born in 1940. And so I was talking to her about this and she is just she's appalled. She's, she, she looks at it and says, you know, in my lifetime, I didn't expect this to be repeated. And she sees it and she says, you know, and, and I, I found somebody shared on, on some social media platform, you know, 1942, July, 1942 in Austria, it said, you know, Jews are no longer allowed in restaurants, movie theaters, gym, you know, whatever, there was a long list of them. And you replace that with the unvaccinated and it's exactly where we are in LA and in San Francisco and in New York. And, you know, we can sit here and say, oh, but it won't go further than that. Well, I can guarantee you the people in 1942 didn't think it would go further than that either. And so, you know, I can go down that end of it. I can also go down sort of, I can take it to the other end and say, you know, we're in a place where people are going to wake up people. It is, it is, you know, bad especially here in California, but people are going to wake up and people are going to, we're going to have an uprising and we're going to have, there's going to be massive change for the good. And we're going to, you know, we're going to be the people who got on the Mayflower and changed the world and changed something to be, to make it a better place and different. And so, you know, I'm, I, and then there's everything in between. <laughs> and then there's the mess in between. Exactly. So I look at it and I, you know, I, always project for the thing that I want, which is that revolution and that place where we're out of the system. You know, people come to me and say, you know, schools, this schools that I'm like, get out of the state or get out of the school system. If you don't like it, like trying to fix the school system, the way it gets fixed is for you to create your own schools, things like that. You know, I do believe the future is a, the, the positive future is a place where we are outside of the government system and we create an economy and we create a school system and a healthcare system and a everything system that is outside of what the government is trying to force on us. Uh, and, and that's where, where I look to, can it get bad? Yeah. Is it going to get worse? Yes, it's, it is before it gets better. And hopefully, you know, I look at the silver lining of things and I hope that people, you know, I see more and more people waking up. I see more and more people, even people who have gotten the COVID vaccine, when you talk to them about getting the third shot, the fourth shot, the fifth shot, you know, what counts as vaccinated? Are you willing to do seven shots? Well, what about number eight? Um, then they're just like, well, hang on a second. I want to have a choice about that. I'm like, okay, so you need to fight right now because we're going to get there really quickly. <laughs> so thank yeah. you. Yes, I concur. That's so important. I, I often, as you know, as you know, I will often invite people to uh, focus on what they want, not what they don't want, yeah. and to stand for for something. And that does not preclude taking action. That does not preclude, right. you know, being with a voice for choice, you know, showing up in an event that we're hosting, doing something so that we are informed, right? You know, yep. one of my teachers, Michael Beckwith, always talks about fully funded. You know, we're fully funded. I talk about fortifying yourself from the inside out. And yep. that includes 
you know, what, what are you feeding yourself? So you need to be aware. And then what do you do? You take action according to that. So going back to those bad mofo bills. Uh, so we've got the adults, mm-hmm. the societal. Can we have an amendment to having natural immunity and religious and conscious belief? What are, what are the chances of something like that being amended? So I think for adults, it's higher than, than for children right now, um, because I know it's crazy. No sense. What's the difference? Doesn't, doesn't. And especially because COVID doesn't affect kids. As right. much. But I think because for employees, you have to have a religious exemption. We're also seeing, for example, if you want to go to this doesn't, it's not in uh, San Francisco, but I believe in LA and in New York, I know New York is the case. For example, if you want to go see a Broadway show, you it's either a vaccine card or a negative PCR test. Those are, and a religious exemption or a medical exemption with the PCR test, but really all they care about is the, is the PCR test. Um, and so to me, you know, that makes sense. If we're, if we're looking at transmission, you know, the person that's vaccinated with their mask on and the person with the negative PCR test from, you know, two, three days ago with their mask on have the same chance of transmission of COVID and so let them both in or, you know, somebody, the thing they don't have is natural immunity in there. Uh, Europe usually has what they call the three G's in most countries because the, that's the beginning letter of the three things, but they have natural immunity, PCR test or uh, vaccination. And one of those three, you just need one three, one of the three in those count. And to me, that makes, you know, I'm against all mandates. I don't think we should be doing this, but if we really you know, if they're really trying to mitigate the spread, I also think, you know, looking at where we are in California, we don't have high rates of COVID infection. So why are we doing any of this, honestly? You know, let's look at, again, let's look at the science and look at where the threshold is. There are no thresholds. It's whatever Governor Newsom and CDPH decides and the local county health officers decide the threshold is going to be. Well, that's ridiculous. If Let's have it as, you know, it used to be and they were completely the wrong metrics, but at least we had some form of metric that you could go by. It used to be, you know, the number of cases. Number of cases is ridiculous. It should be the number of hospitalizations or the number of deaths because the number of cases means nothing, especially given that most people are very mildly symptomatic. Um, and especially, you know, kids are, are not at, at risk from, from this at all. But, you know, if we had metrics that said, you know, if we have this many hospitalizations or death, if it's above this number, we won't need to take extra precautions. Then I'm okay with you know putting in some of these measures. I'd like a test that actually doesn't have false positives and a vaccine that isn't transmission, you know, isn't transmitting, allowing for transmission. Okay. You know, I see the rationale in it, but we're we're not at any place of rationale. I mean, I loved Governor Newsom. I think at the it was the beginning of this year, may have been last year. You know, it was just like, well, we're not releasing the scientific data because people just wouldn't understand it. And it's just like, okay, you really think we're that dumb? Like we're asking for the science. If we're asking for the science, most likely we're able to, you know, read it or at least try and interpret. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that begs the question though, if we, if we were to change the metrics, which, I mean, it's such a dysfunctional family system. It's like Mm -hmm. this, you know, here's daddy Newsom. And then there's the, you know, the, the, the relatives. It's just so interesting, but in terms of the metrics of the numbers, we we were told that there were letters that were sent to hospital uh, administrators that if somebody had COVID and died, they were to be identified as dying from COVID. And if somebody uh, 
was hospitalized with, you know, and they developed it, they were also supposed to say that they had COVID. Yes. So, so there and like that. So I, I know we're getting close to time. I, I did receive a question that I wonder if you can, if you can answer. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more uh, that I want to ask you and thank you for, for who you are and all that you do. Um, can you talk about IEP exception? Um, yes. Is there a way to provide documents? Schools don't seem, I mean, we know that they're not all that informed really. Yep. So for, for children who have special needs and aren't and are on an IEP, which is an individualized education program, they are not required to comply with the vaccination requirements. That's in our statute. That was part of the law. Uh, if schools don't know about it, my recommendation, there's an uh, organization called Educate Advocate, and mm -hmm. their website is educateadvocateca.com. And they are amazing. We work with them extremely closely, but they are amazing at advocating for children and ensuring that your child goes to school. Uh, many schools don't know about it. I will say it's also specific to public schools. So public schools have to provide IEPs. Private schools do not have to provide them or follow them. You can get an IEP still through a public through the public school district, but the private schools don't have to recognize them. Some do, some don't. Uh, it really depends on the private school. But but my recommendation is reach out to educate advocate. And their website is educateadvocateca.com. Uh, yeah, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. I am curious about one of the, uh, at, you know, as a trauma-informed parenting coach for mm -hmm. 20 years, uh, the level of bullying and discrimination that I witness is staggering. Yep. And it doesn't seem to be, there doesn't seem to be an awareness of this, it seems to be allowed and permissible. Mm -hmm. Have you, if in terms of local, right? So you said, we don't really, we have, we're a force, but we don't have a lot of influence up in Sacramento. And we know that you start local and you go federal, but in terms of meeting with legislators to talk to them about these issues, what do you recommend when they won't see you or they won't hear yes. you? So, so I actually did a webinar last Tuesday and I need to, I have just finished before I got on this, I was just finishing ah. it and I'm going to put it out. So if people want to be part of our newsletter, if you go to a voiceforchoiceadvocacy.org and just sign up as a pop-up that comes up, just put your name and your email address in there um, and we will be sending it out. It'll also be on our YouTube channel later this afternoon. Uh, but, you know, our recommendation is you're right. It needs to start at the local level. It needs to, you need to go to school board meetings. You need to go to your board of supervisor meeting. Your school board is in charge of your superintendents, they hire them. Uh, they also, the private schools follow what the school, what the public schools are doing in their COVID protocols. So very often they just say, you know, we're going to do the same. Then the board of supervisors is really important because they hire and fire the health, the local county, county health director. And the local county health director basically has a say in, can, can say that whatever public health policies they want and order them. So those two are really important. And my recommendation is people go to find your local county health and board of supervisors and your school district and go to those and give public comment at every single meeting and just make your voice heard. And then your legislators. So right now in December, legislators, state assembly members and state senators, those two are in their district. So they're in local 
because they're not up in Sacramento. And so most of them, I'm on most of their email lists and most of them are having toy drives or Christmas holiday parties or, you know, something in the park or meet your legislator or give your legislator a bill idea. You know, they've got a lot going on in the month of December in the next two weeks. And so my recommendation is to find out who you're, if you don't know, who your assembly member is and who your state senator, not the one that goes to, not the two that go to Washington, but your actual state California senator, um, the find out who they are and get on their mailing lists and look up what events they've got going on and go and go show up at those events. Now, I don't recommend showing up at those events protesting or anything else because you want to build relationships. You want them to listen to you. If you stand there protesting outside of their turkey drive or their, you know, toys for low income kids, you don't look good. And so what you really want to do is show up and support them in the work that they're doing and then get into a conversation and then say, you know, can I meet with you? I've got some issues that are that I've, I'm concerned with in our district and I'd really like to meet with you. And what you want to find is common ground with them. So I was talking to a legislator that was a fire chief, a battalion chief uh, in his previous life. And so, you know, when I talked to his staffer, we started talking about wildfires and the air quality. And that's how we sort of went into our air quality bill. And so we did that transition. And in the end, I was talking vaccines with them. But you don't want to come across as you need to stop the vaccines because they're just going to be like, OK, it's a crazy anti-vaxxer here. Yep. Uh, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> so you really want to develop that relationship because it does the constituents, the people who live in their district or who vote for them and who they're interested in, but you need to be professional and you need to come across as, as caring about the district and not just being, you know, a protester or somebody who always says no to something. Well said, it's very important. Relationships matter. Yep. If you want to disrupt a system, you've got to understand how the system works. Yeah. And so thank you, Christina. There's so much more to talk about these We've got these four, you know, the four bad bills, we've got the amendments. So I will make sure that all of you that are here will receive all of the links to Christina's website and to, uh, and to, to mine so that you can also receive the support that you need emotionally and spiritually and mentally to go forward and take the actions that are being required because you were born for a time such as this. So you're here. And we need you. We need you all, you know, in every aspect uh, from the legislative to the being at home with your kids and having a space and then supporting your older kids and taking care of yourself because, you know, as, as, a, as an awakened mom, it doesn't just end, it, you know, it doesn't just end when your kid goes off to college, especially not in this climate. So, <laughs> So, um, Christina, it's always such a great uh, joy to be with you. I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you, you for having me. You are so welcome. And everybody, please stay tuned for an email about with, with the replay and also all the information. And then meet us next week, Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Stay well. Stay awake. Thank you so much. Yes. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.